What is up? Asymmetry. 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 Man, alive. Uh, you know, the podcast is like this fantastic vehicle. And you, I feel like Forrest Gump, in talking about it like that, like it's like a box of chocolates, like you never know what you're going to get. And, and I thought we were sitting down tonight to talk with a really talented artist named David Cutchins from Florida. Uh, he's a student at Mirai, but he has really become a bonsai professional as well as uh, an artist that has taken sort of the these remnants of, uh, of ancient trees and turned them into just some of the most beautiful pieces and works of art that I've ever seen. And instead, he just took us on a journey. And and his story, his life, his perspective, uh, I'm super inspired by David. I've always considered him a great friend, and, uh, and I just have nothing but tremendous things to say about him. Uh, sit back and enjoy this one. He, he, he's going to walk you through, as a tremendous storyteller, just a, a fascinating trip through life and, and a wonderful delivery in terms of where he's at now. Uh, enjoy. Enjoy. Oh, it is a Bob Ross. Yeah, Bob, Bob Ross. Somehow Bob Ross has become just sort of an integral part of Mirai. I I was in North Carolina, um, uh, Waynesville. They have a store called the Mass General Store, and uh, they had Bob Ross tens that had like Happy Hair Day and, you know, you can be friend with a tree. I bought them all. That's so <laughs> Bob Ross had such a major impact on people. His school is by not far from our house. Really? He still has an active he school. A, he's a Florida yeah. artist. Yeah. We have some good stuff. Uh, no, <laughs> but no, you literally like uh, I think it's Palm Coast uh, or Palm Beach, but you can go there and you can take classes in the Bob Ross style. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh yeah. I've wanted to do that for Katie's birthday for a while, but then, you know, pandemic and babies, it was just that was hard. Pandemic and babies. How's it feel to be a dad? Uh, I absolutely love it. I, I do. I absolutely love it. Poppy is she's the moon that lights the night. Where where'd the name Poppy come from? I've never asked you that. I just I don't know, man. I I uh I always uh you know, I was a little boy who always got made fun of because, like, if there were flowers, I, I just had to smell them. Like, I didn't find that to be like, oh, that's a girl thing. It was just like red plants, colors, smells. Uh, so I just always liked it. And then uh, uh, I'd heard the name Poppy a few times. I didn't know where. It, some some could be from even Randy, like, because this little pug is Poppy. Yeah. Uh, but I just always liked the name Poppy. And then we were trying to decide on what to name her, and uh, I thought Katie would be like, nah, you know, but I was like, what about <laughs> Poppy? And uh, she's like, oh, I like that. I, I, I like that. So it was like, all right, that's Damn. a win. So done with uh, her grandfather's middle name and her sister's middle name is Lynn, but we, uh, Linda was going through stuff. So I was like, well, middle name could be Linda. And she's like, well, our family name is Lynn, so we'll just Poppy Lynn. So it kind of encompasses all that. But uh, yeah, just, just like the name Poppy. Like people see it and they're like, oh, that's a cute name. I love that name. So it's kind of her name just brings people happiness. You know, just saying it. They're like, oh, Poppy. You know, it's not like yeah. just a common name. Yeah, it is a very it is a very positive 
Yeah, it is a like very positive Poppy. name. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, that's interesting. I, I, if you heard Poppy, you wouldn't be like, that person sucks. It's like, <laughs> well, they probably sound kind of interesting. Like Poppy. It's like, oh, this is Dave. Like, yeah, I know some Daves. It's like, oh, but Poppy? Yeah. Nobody's going to be talking shit about Poppy. It's funny too. Cause when, uh, uh, like, cause she's walking now, she's 10 months old. She's wearing shoes, but mm. she'll be walking like to her daycare thing. And, I guess everybody in the school knows her, like this kid named Poppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because so, of her name or because of her personality? A uh, little bit of both. Okay. Uh, so right. when people are walking by, the teacher would be like, hey, everybody say hi, Poppy. So like a whole class would be like, hey, Poppy. <laughs> and like she just lights up and yeah, it's like just her name. Wow. You know? Wow. She could have like one tooth and be hideous and it'd be like, Poppy, <laughs> you know, and be stoked about it. So Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you and Katie both strike me as fairly quiet, reserved individuals. We are not like the other members of our family, for sure. You know, no no discredit to any family members, but we don't swim in the same current as the rest of our family. Like, what, is that, what does that mean? You know, Katie's always been very artistic, which a lot of her family members are artists, but as far as like kind of uh, religion or faith or something like that, we... I don't know. We find our happiness more in like creative outputs than we do uh, in more organized kind of family things. Like not like her grandfather um, was retired as a firefighter, but his father was like a contractor. Um, so like he's always been a builder of things. So uh, he retired like in the eighties. Like he was retired when Katie was born. Like he did the full pension left, and uh, he built like a three story cabin. Uh, by hand. He hired a crane to lift the walls, but he built them laying down like he's total badass. And uh, so first time I go to the cabin, like I'm walking around, I'm like, you guys have a lot of Thomas Kincaid paintings. And uh, they're like, well, that's not Thomas Kincaid. That's that's my grandma. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm like sitting here. I'm like, golly, like these paintings are incredible. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I took painting class, you know, like. (laughs) Her dad, you know, Katie lost her dad very young, but, uh, you know, some of his prints came out. Like, he would just sit down and draw, like, you know, barns and a pasture and stuff, and they're, like, way awesome. Wow. So it's, like, there's definitely that kind of strain, like, in her family, but, you know, very traditional-style artwork where Katie's, like, I'm going to do something crazy with ink or shadows or, like, Katie's phenomenal, what she does. Um, Now she's doing stained glass. So it's like me and my family, like uh, my family would, you know, build something that it needed, not like in a contractor status, just like necessity things. Uh, But then I took it and I'm like, well, I'm going to make it like a functional art kind of thing. Or um, like I was saying earlier, um, when we were talking, it's like my grandfather always made things just so different than everywhere else. It's like, you know, it's like a normal person would build a deck and, you know, things would be, uh, you know, deck boards this way and joists this way and be absolutely contrast in direction. Mm-hmm. But my grandpa would build all the deck boards like in a cattywampus way, like weird. And I never wondered why he did that. Uh, but then in my 30s, when he, uh, right before he passed away, uh, I was just trying to make conversation because he was in a deteriorated state. And I was like, oh, what, what kind of paint are you using on the, on the deck? And he totally ignored my question. Where he, what he heard, I don't know. But he's like, you know why I build that deck that way? And I'm like, 
no. And he's like, I know what everybody else can do. I want to see what I can do. So I built it and designed it in a different way. And I'm just like, universe collapsed. And I'm like, this is who I came from. Like, so it's like, they weren't directly artistic in the sense of like painting or drawing or, um, I don't think they thought of things in like a design perspective, but what they were doing was definitely original and definitely like uh, totally is incubative the right word for what Katie and I are just unknowingly seeing what they were doing and how it impacted us. So it's like, yeah, those kind of things, like the way our families were when Katie and I met, I feel like it was kind of like a perfect storm of, uh, like we got each other, you know, we weren't directly encouraged to do specific things, but it just kind of aligned that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Katie's six years younger than me. Like the only reason I met her is because I transferred in forestry down there and, uh, everybody was older than me. Um, cause I started when AmeriCorps when I was 18, like I started my career very early. Um, so when I moved to Orlando to take more of the firefighting role, where'd you grow up again? Panama city. Yeah. And where did Katie grow up? Orlando. Oh, okay. And so so you moved down there to start AmeriCorps? Uh, No, I moved down there when I got further along into forestry, like years later. Okay. And it's like, how I met Katie was I got a job at a movie theater because everybody in forestry had kids and families. I was like the youngest person to assume that kind of position. So it's like, there was nobody for me to hang out with. So it's like, I was virtually, you know, kind of bored at the end of the day. I didn't really know anybody in Orlando. I'm not so much of a party and type. So, um, I got a job in movie theater for like free movies. Maybe I'll meet somebody. It's like, you know, friends or something. And, uh, yeah, I met Katie and it was like, this is why I moved to Orlando. I thought it was for forestry, but it was like, that's, it wouldn't have happened any other way. Wow. You know? So it's like the weirdest I don't know. I don't ignore those things in my gut that's like, you know, somebody in forestry is like firefighting. It's like, I'm not going to work at a theater with a bunch of kids. Yeah. And I was like, I should work at the theater. So, uh, yeah, it's our our kind of story together is, I don't know. I don't think anybody else uh, could tolerate me in the way that she tolerates me because... You're a pretty easy guy to get along with, though. You always say that, but it's I, like, uh, well, you're pretty mellow, dude. I'm very particular. It's like, she taught me how to relax, you know, because it's like, uh, growing up, is it's pretty strict, you know, it's like, everything has its place, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child and stuff, so... Wait, what? Uh, everything has its place as far as organization. Yeah, but what'd you say after spare that? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Spare so, the rod, spoil the child. Yeah, so I definitely had discipline growing up. Uh-huh. I was going to face the belt. And gotcha. I don't mean that in like a child abuse kind of way, but... This is, this is some of, some of that Southern culture right here, yeah, right? Yeah, go get the switch, but to wear you out. <laughs> do, you, do, do you consider Florida the South? No, I consider Florida like its own universe. Yeah. You know, we were kind of talking about that earlier. It's like, I consider Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi the South. Uh, I I consider uh, Florida just kind of like a, uh, almost just kind of retirement state and like a native, Florida native state, but it doesn't feel terribly Southern to me because if America's in a melting pot, Florida's the melting pot's melting pot, Mm. you know, so it's like, because people, a lot of people come there, different ages, uh, or they're military. 
so they're temporary. So it, it, it affects the local governments. It affects like everything. So it doesn't really feel too Southern to me because mm-hmm. most people that I meet are not from Florida. So yeah, I don't know. Wait, so strict childhood. Did you say Pentecostal? Yeah. Initially, yeah. When I was raised, uh, I think first 12, 13 years was pretty strict Pentecostal. Yeah. What does that mean? What does Pentecostal mean? Like we talked about it last night, and I, I and I still walked away from it. And I was like, "What the hell is Pentecostal?" I don't know how to define it other than it's like, a sect of Christianity, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm criticizing or being negative, but it's like, you know, what what I saw was like it'd be revivals, you know, where they'd last for a week, you know, and it'd be like intense prayer, speaking in tongues and stuff. So, yeah, as an in as a kid, seeing that it definitely impacted. Like, almost like I could never come to religion on my own. I did it because I was afraid of the consequence of not doing it. Yeah. So it definitely changed my ability to feel comfort in that environment because it's like, I don't know if I'm doing it out of like a fear that I grew up with or if it's like I genuinely like, I'm into this, you know, like it feels right. Mm -hmm. I think that's the same thing with Katie. Um, You know, Katie... She lost her father and uh, her grandmother and her uncle all within like a five to seven year span of pancreatic cancer. So them being very religious and stuff, it's like you feel like, you know, someone in that position sees everything as kind of God's love, God's miracle or whatever. But when you're experiencing so much loss, it's very difficult to be like, thank you for these blessings and opportunities yeah, right. when I've lost to the things that I really care about. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's a true test. Faith is, yeah, people, they have it or they seek it, you know? And I don't know, I think I'm in between have it and seek it because I'm like, I'm kind of afraid of this and, you know, I can see where I can envy people's reaction and how wonderful it makes them feel. Like, I would love to have that. But yeah, I think that's that childhood fear of like... Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to take it. Wait, uh, so I, I I thought about this after you had talked about the revivals and people speaking in tongue. How often did you do that? And what, what were these out in the middle of the woods? You just like went out no, into the woods? No, this and... is huge, huge church like anything else. But So it was a week-long revival at the church? Yeah. Did you not leave the church? Or you, oh, were no, you just no. there every, it's every day? It's just like, you know, that person who would kind of orchestrate it aside from the pasture, they would be there for a week and they would do like at length things. It wouldn't be like all day, all night kind of things. Uh, there are places that do do that, but that's not how it was where I was. It was a massive church that could hold hundreds of people. Mm. Um, but uh, my virtually everyone in my family went there. But I would lay underneath the pews because I, I didn't like socializing with the other kids. I, and even now, like you're one of the few people that I associate with that are like <laughs> my age because I generally... Uh, I. Uh, most of my friends, I would say, are retired, and it's just I've always I'm attracted to that wisdom that comes with time that I just can't get from necessarily someone my age. Mm. So it's like I I see everyone as a predecessor in that point rather than someone that's my age. I'm like, oh, what do you got going on? And they're like, oh, dude, I played like Call of Duty all night last night. And I'm like, you got anything else? <laughs> Like, like, what else you got going on? Like, what's happening in the real world? 
I don't know, man. Like, so yeah, if it's like this guy is like, oh yeah, like 30 years ago I was doing this, I'm like fascinated by it. <laughs> You're right. But yeah, someone drops something current on me and I'm like, cool. Wah, wah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I There's, feel that. So yeah, I just generally uh I, I don't want to say that I don't fit in with people my age, but I definitely feel I don't feel like I'm older myself, like I'm dad, even though some of my friends would be like, they'll call me and Katie like, oh, here come mom and dad, you know, <laughs> or like Peggy and Hank Hill. It's like, because I'm like, that's not the responsible thing to do. And right, right. I Yeah, I just can't help myself. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I mean, but you've found, you have, you have found yourself in a position now where you're taking over this really established bonsai right. operation in Florida and yeah, more or less, you 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 have kind of like carved out a path for yourself yeah. where where you where you are entering, like around peg and around hole, kind of that spot that seems to suit you and and oh, be yeah. consistent with where you you kind of gravitate towards. Yeah, I you know Dave is. Uh, would Poppy be here if I if it weren't for Dave and Linda? I really don't think so because I was never like, oh, I'm gonna have kids one day and. You know, Katie was always kind of on the fence about it, too. Uh, but then when we met Dave and Linda, like initially, like we moved to Colorado and then we came back, um, you know, to do school here. Because uh, like right before I went to Colorado, like I would see my grandparents and like I just knew it was the last time I was ever going to see him if I left. Mm. So it's like even though it costs thousands of dollars, I drove to Colorado. I got there. Uh, we moved into our place and like that overwhelming feeling of like, why aren't you just going to school in Florida and still seeing these people? You know, so it was like for fear of divorce, I was like, we have to go back. I was, you know, like I, Katie loved it there. Katie was like all in, ready to stay. She had an interview with Greenpeace. Uh, I would have probably gotten hired by Southwest and like that would have been awesome. Like, oh, I can fly anywhere I want. And it's like, well, then it defeats the purpose of moving out here and being in school because nobody wants to hire somebody who's in school and have mm -hmm. to compete with that schedule. So it was like, you know, uh, then I'm on a lower income in school and like, well, how easy is it for me to get, to get back to see family? It was like, I won't be able to afford it anymore. And I'm like, I'll basically working in school. I can't enjoy these mountains anyway. I might as well go to school back there where I have those kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we came back. and uh, How long were you in, in Colorado? Yeah. Get ready for this, like 30 days. Yeah, yeah. You know how many people were like, you're nuts. First, I got the, so you're leaving your career of 11 years to play with tiny trees. You know, they look at me and they're like, you went to school for firefighting and you're leaving to play with bonsai. And I'm like, that's... Wait, you went to Colorado to do bonsai? No, I went to uh, go for a degree in forestry because I, I wanted to stay somewhat in that realm. Um, and initially I went, I left forestry and firefighting to go into nursing because I was afraid to give up my income. You know, I, I really was. Uh, and, you know, I had heard the same thing that everybody else was. You can't make any money doing bonsai. Like, so it was like I, I was playing it safe. Uh, and I would sit there in nursing school and I was drawing trees all day. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my stepmom, you know, Katie was trying to encourage me, like, you should just take horticulture. That's what you want to do. And I'm like, but then we're poor. <laughs> like, like, then I have to work someone else. And it's probably like a greenhouse or something that I hate doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then my stepmom's like, 
would you want a nurse working on you whose heart wasn't totally in it? And I'm like, wow. no, no, I wouldn't. Wow. Interesting. You know, so it was like between her and Katie, it was like, oh, I've got to, I'm just going to change the horticulture, you know? And then it was like, well, then I wasn't drawing trees and I was like working on trees. Yeah. So yeah, you know, being able to do that in Florida versus Colorado, it's like, well, then I could still see people. Uh, but then when I got back from Colorado, it just became very obvious that DNL is where I needed to be. Like I was supposed to be there, you know, and I would ask Dave, like, what happens to this place? You know, when you it's and Linda... It's called were, DNL Bonsai? Yeah, DNL Dave for... Dave and Linda Dave Bonsai? Dave and Linda, yeah. Uh, DNL Nursery. DNL Nursery. Yeah, because uh, Dave is kind of the same way uh, as I am in the sense that... Um, I don't want to say it was plain and safe, but they initially started with a lot of like kind of house plants because he didn't really think like he always had bonsai from a kid. He still has like one from like forty uh, something years ago, a little tiny cutting he got from Jim Smith that he grew entirely in a container, uh, and he still has it. Uh, a lot of his initial cuttings came from Jim Smith, but um, yeah, it's like uh, I go to DNL and like I'm just it's like I would come back from firefighting and it was very hard to unwind. You know, the adrenaline is there. Like you go from like busting ass for two weeks straight, no like sleeping, resting. Uh, and then it's like, it's very hard to relax, you know? So I took a workshop, uh, at DNL. I had this juniper I bought on the side of the road, you know, Hallelujah, Kansai, mm-hmm. Booksai, Malzai, whatever you want to call there it. There you go. When I saw it, I'm like, that is Karate Kid, you know? It's like, oh, look at that huge branch, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I sit down with Dave, and like, but when I was driving in there, I almost turned around, I don't know how many times, because I was like, my tree sucks. Like, I don't want to, I'm embarrassed, you know? It's like, I'm going to go into a bonsai nurse and be like, check out my crap, man. Right. You know? And it's right. like, I sit down and I never met this guy before. And uh, he's like, do you trust me? And I'm like, I guess. I just met you, you know? It's like, I, you know, what do I say? No. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, he's like, I need to cut the majority of your tree off. And I'm like, I'm like, what? So it's like the very same people <laughs> that were like making fun of me for like leaving forestry for that. You know, I'm like, here, I paid $75 for a tree. And then I show him a picture like, you paid $75 for the dude to kill it and cut it all off. <laughs> and it's like, this is just not getting better for me. Uh, but anyway, he just simply explained, he's like, could this trunk support this branch if it were a real tree in nature? And I'm like, no, I really don't think it could. And that was it. He cut it off. And it was like, and I still have the tree. Uh, I, I hung with it. Um, but uh it was just that he took the time to explain why he thought it was the best decision, allowed me to, to do it, um, to agree with it. And then, uh, yeah, it's like when I went to leave, Linda says, because this time workshops were 25 bucks, and that's all day. Um, and uh, Linda says, do you feel like you got $25 out of it? Because if not, I won't charge you for it. And I'm wow. just like, sign me up for the next shop. But as I was leaving, I called Katie, and I'm like, I feel like I just took a cruise. Like, I feel like more relaxed than I have, and I don't know how long. And it was like that one six-hour session ripped out like two months of adrenaline of firefighting just that fast. Mm. You know, and I just, I started making the four-hour drive back to the nursery like, 
as often as I could, like once every two weeks. Sometimes I drive four hours there, do some stuff and drive four hours back, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was just, I had to do it. I was being pulled to it at that point. And then I asked Dave, I'm like, what happens with this stuff, you know, one day? Cause at that point I wasn't still planning to stay. I just came back for school and then I was going to leave again, probably to North Carolina. Um, and he's like, I just would be auctioned off. Uh, we, we would just sell everything and close the nursery. And it was like, I called Katie and it's like, we, again, we have to stay here, you know, and she's not terribly reluctant this time. Cause it is nice to see them, uh, see family and stuff, but it was like, here we are. We both grew up desperately wanting to leave Florida, but everything in the universe is saying you belong right here, mm-hmm. you know? So then it became the path of, uh, making the gener- uh, the nursery a generational nursery uh, because there are few of those around the United States. And Dave is one of the few people that has his original trees that he grew from nothing. I mean, the more money someone would offer Dave for the tree, the more offended he will get because it's like saying to him like, well, that's all it, it is. You know, so if like, if he said, somebody said, oh, here's $40,000 for a $10,000 tree, he wouldn't be flattered by it. He would be probably offended by it. Mm-hmm. So it's like he still had all those original trees, and it's like um, you had made an interesting point. I think my first year studying here, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you were like, you know what kind of makes what you're learning special? And uh, it not even really occurred to me, and you're like, well, most people, they go through learning of creating trees uh, and improving trees, but when you take something that's long been established and you maintain that and move it forward, like old growth or something like that. like So I was learning a skill that most people in Florida couldn't learn because most of those trees are sold off. Yeah. So it was like I was learning how to maintain an established collection as well as create trees on top of propagating to create more. Mm. So it was like, this place can't close. Me and Katie, this is, this is where we need to be. It's totally where we need to be. Wow. Yeah, Dave is Dave is uh and all self-taught, yeah. Davis. Yeah, and that's the thing is like Dave uh so him and uh, a guy named Mike Rogers are brother-in-laws and they um I'm pretty sure I have this right, but they started doing bonsai together uh, in South Florida like in the 70s. Uh and then Mike moved to the land like northern Florida cuz he wanted to do like azaleas and pines and stuff and Dave and Linda uh moved to Ocala in the National Forest cuz they they dig the isolation. You know, mm-hmm. I always had people say, I don't think Dave and Linda like me very much. And I'm like, why you say that? And they're like, well, I invite them to dinner and stuff and they don't ever want to come. I'm like, nothing to do with you. They are all each other needs. They like to cook dinner every night. I've, they've not fought in 40 years. Like that just, they Dang. know what they like. And it's not that they don't like you. They just, they're content. You know, they don't have the desire to go out. You know, that's why they moved out there. Wow. So... To see that close and see all these people that come in friendless or like me that wanted to turn around like my tree sucks and then they leave and they've got friends and they're pumped, they're ready to come back. It's like closing the gate to that, couldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Well, and it seems like you find a lot of common ground with Dave and you and Katie have some parallels to Dave and Linda. Linda and Katie are very similar. Dave uh-huh. and myself are very similar. Dave is a lot like my actual dad's name is also David. So there's a, yeah, it's like David and David, but, uh, um, Dave is just, uh, 
he's very much like my dad in the, uh, he does not make excuses for uh, why something's not being done. It's like, it needs to be done because it needs to be done. It's not like, oh, I, I can't get to it this time because of this or something. It's like, no, it needs to be done. So it's like uh, that discipline that I grew up with was very easy to me. Like Dave has never exerted any kind of discipline on me. Like I've been very fortunate with him. Um, he just, I don't know how he did it. Like I couldn't have let me come in and be like, all right, taper these 30 trees. You know, it's like I, I have a tendency to want to ensure that it's done the way that I feel it should be done. And Dave's like, I've got to let you fail at it. I got to let you make some mistakes, you know? And it's like, but this is our entire perishable commodity. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he saw something in me, uh, to just trust me, to let me do stuff and let me work stuff out. I mean, he's a guiding person. Uh, it wasn't just have at it. Um, but, um, yeah, he just, there's something, uh, attractive about, just who he is as a person, mm-hmm. aside from the bit. It's almost like when you get to know him and Linda as a person, like the bonsai is almost like a bonus at that point. Because it's like, like I was saying uh, last night, it's like if somebody's a complete tool, I don't care if they're like amazing at their art form. When I look at their tree, I'm like, your tree's a tool too, man. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah, I can appreciate their ability and their professionalism and stuff, but. Uh, that personality comes through in the artwork. So when it comes to Dave, it's like this stuff needs protection. This stuff needs to carry on. Yeah. Because he did it uh, for no other reason than the the art form and his personal, um, just who he is of doing the best that he can with what he's gotten. He never, there was no teachers. Like John Naka, Benoki, sometimes they would come to Florida, but it was very rare. Um, so there wasn't anybody for him to really learn from. It was looking through the books and asking himself, like, wh- why would a Japanese artist do that? Or uh, why would they make that decision? And uh, when I finally told him, I was like, I'm, I'm going to stop nursing school uh, and I would like to do this full time. The first thing we did, it wasn't like a, uh, like, I don't know what it is for a normal person practitioner you know when like someone says like i want to do this full time but we walked down to the end of the property and we sat under the biggest live oak there and he was like look up what do you see and i was like you know we started talking about the way the branches moved in the direction of where the sun was going and stuff and after having that conversation he kind of explained like with the reality of you know you're in a pond there's there's a lot of fish you know as far as I mean, those weren't his exact words, but it was like he wanted to make sure I understood the tree and the importance of what we're trying to do. And then he then he explained like the kind of competitive nature of bonsai or whatever. But it was like the test was what did I see in the tree? And uh, man, it was it was like a profound personal experience for me. For him, I don't know what it was like, but yeah, just for someone to be like, well, look up at the tree and like, what do you see? It's like. People walk past those trees all the time. They never look up, mm-hmm. you know. So it was like, yeah, the way he connected to me, yeah, I was like crazy, not crazy. I don't know, perfect, but uh, I got it. I totally got what he was doing, and almost everything since. There's plenty of things that he'll teach me or instruct me on, but I can learn very easily through osmosis of Dave because, like, I understand Dave as a person. 
So that makes me understand uh, his direction of an artist like that much better. Mm-hmm. It's like the it, same thing with you. It's like we're pretty close. Uh, well, we are the same age, but it's like, um, you know, you went to Japan, I went to AmeriCorps. Like our paths were different, but it's like I can see the same things in Dave that I can see in you or like my own dad, where it's like that dedication and commitment regardless of who the fuck is watching. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's great that you're coming into it, you're supportive of it, but you're going to do that regardless. Yeah. Because that's who you are. Yeah. So it's like, seeing that in Dave, uh, it's like, it made me more comfortable in myself. It's like, why am I making excuses? No one's asking for one. I just need to do what feels right. Interesting. And uh, yeah, he kind of created the environment for that to happen. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and Linda, you know, we lost Linda in February, uh, and that was like a different, uh, different kind of experience with her. Cause, um, we're both September kids, uh, you know, Linda, um, like my mother worked a lot growing up. Um, you know, so well, parents, especially if you're from a divorce home, like it is, it is hard to you have that much more responsibility. You have to find time for family, but then you still have to work, but you don't have necessarily help doing any of it. So it was like, um, when I met Linda, it was like the first time I'd ever sat down with like a female in like a mother role where it's like, well, how do you feel? Or like, you know, just, she just asked me like, well, what do you think about that? Or how do you feel? And like, she would share her personal experience and like, I would just unload like emotionally. <laughs> and it was like, like Wednesdays at that time, Dave still owned his roofing business. So he would go out on a Wednesday and, uh, you know, me and Linda were, we had tasks to do and he'd come back and we'd be still sitting on the porch. We would talk like fucking like six hours, seven hours. And it was like, but I had never experienced that with anybody before. Like, you know, I love my, my mom and uh, my stepmom and everything. They're wonderful. Uh, but yeah, Linda was like, I don't know. Like, she just, she never met a stranger. It was very easy for her to speak to someone and very easy for her to tell the most difficult aspects of her life to make you feel comfortable in yours. So it was mm-hmm. like... Uh, the two of them together was like the, you know, the headstrong, uh, you know, gonna very committed to get everything done, you know, Dave, and then the the fun and still wanting to get everything done, but kind of poke the bear, Linda, it was like the perfect combination. It was like, so I'd see Katie around Linda, I'm like, man, those two are a lot alike. And <laughs> like, but... I think Katie is kind of more like Dave and I'm more like Linda. <laughs> I can explain that in the simplest terms of like uh, Katie and Dave cut the middle out of cakes and brownies and me and Linda like the edges. <laughs> like, uh, it's like a perfect way to sum it up. Like you go in there and like Dave or Katie have cut like the center of a cake out. The cake is like ruined. And then like me and Linda are like, don't touch the edges. Like the thing that no one else wants to eat. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I believe in fate or destiny, but I definitely feel like every decision I made from leaving forestry, because that's the thing, Colorado was an expensive adventure for a month. If I would have not done that, I would have never been comfortable enough to leave forestry. I would have never left 11 years of work uh, if we not made that jump. So it's like some people can see it as like, wow, that was a, you know, 
$5,000 mistake you made moving cross-country and coming back. And then it's like, well, but I left forestry. I could have been killed in a wildfire, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I may have never gone to school for horticulture. I may have never decided I can make it as a bone sourdist. I had to leave. I had to step out of that comfort zone. Uh, I, I had to do something different. And I was very fortunate that Katie was not just along for the ride, but willing to work that out with me. Um, and the result is we have Poppy. Because mm-hmm. if it weren't for taking over the nursery, uh, I don't know that I would have ever um, bought the house that we have. Uh, without buying the house that we have, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable putting down the roots essentially to have Poppy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was uh, almost everything in my life is tied to that nursery for the last 10 years, whether it was on purpose, indirect, or um, direct. It's like, I, I don't know what else I would be doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in doing that, like, I'm basically, I'm not like the traditional type of impre- apprentice. Most apprentices don't grow up to take over the nursery. You know, that's that's very unusual. I mean, you can have, I know in Japan, like, say, like, uh, you know, the kid goes away to learn a different nursery, brings back those skills, enriches the nursery. Well, in this, like, it's all in the same place. He's He's not my natural father or anything like that, but... He gave me the environment uh, to work, uh, so I've kind of been on apprentice wages, if you will. Um, so um, being able to come out here and study and then do the frames is like that's how I can survive on that mm-hmm. um, until you know my time comes. Uh, now that we unfortunately lost Linda, uh, it's like I was telling you, Dave hit me one day. He's like, I had a reckoning. And it's like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, that's kind of scary. What was a reckoning? And I, and he's like, this is the third reckoning. And I'm like, what were the first two? And he's like, well, I think he said it was like the 80s, maybe it was the early 90s, that uh, they started selling some of their plants, uh, and they were selling it without a license, and they got caught. <laughs> so going legit was the first reckoning. And then uh, in the early 2000s, when the economy was struggling, the economy tanked or whatever, he always had people that were wandering out of the house plants into his personal stuff, which was his bonsai trees. Um, so he decided, um, well, I can do this full time, so uh, I'll just go full bonsai. Uh, all these um, deciduous trees or coniferous trees or something uh, that wouldn't be so much of like a house or landscape plant um, that had been raised for, you know, finer twigging uh, reduction and stuff. Like, well, then he has material. Uh, so that was kind of the second reckoning was... Um, going fully bonsai uh, and nothing else. Uh, and then th- that's when he hit me with a third reckoning. And it's, it's almost hard not to get emotional. Uh, but um, the third reckoning was Linda passing and him saying that he realizes it's time for the nursery to take the next step, mm-hmm. which would be allowing Katie and I to, you know, basically take it into the future. Because um, it's Dave's not leaving. He's not moving or anything like that. But he's tired in, in, in a lot of ways. Like he, he wants the opportunity to kind of just play with a tree during the day. Not like, Oh, I have to propagate this many trees on this time. Like he doesn't have any lack of love for it. He's not uninterested in it. Um, but it's like, especially now that Linda's gone, um, uh, he just wants to smell the roses more. Yep. Uh, so it's like, 
it's been an interesting year, you know, losing Linda and then, and then that happening. Um, it's just, uh, so yeah, going home from here, it's like, it's time to put the big boy pants on and, um, take more of a, uh, like a ownership leadership role. Um, that way Dave can kind of settle back a little bit, still do whatever he wants. Uh, I will always answer to Dave. I, I, I could never see myself as an equal to Dave because I respect him so much. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't have the desire to necessarily, I, I don't want to change the nursery. I just know some things need to, they need to be modernized. Things are done differently. So much things are online now, and I don't want to necessarily go into that. But as far as like, you know, going from workshops to actually like uh, year-long class coursework for students, mm-hmm. like that's kind of like what transition is to me. You know, um, we've built up quite an area of people. Um, and this is the thing. We don't advertise. Uh, we don't sell anything online. And we don't ship. And we're one of the busiest places in Florida. Mm-hmm. Because people, there's no drama. Uh, they, they know when they come, if they ask a question, it's very easy for us to say, I don't know, or, or tell you, and then tell you why we told you that. So, yeah. uh you know, seeing Dave do that, you know, it just felt, I just love the guy. I love the place. I I love what he's built. And people always ask, you know, oh, I bet you're so excited to take over the nursery or, you know, um, and it's, yeah, I'm excited, but it's, it's incredibly bittersweet because it's like, well, me taking over means that Dave is taking back. And it's like, I I want us to be like this forever, you know, like, you know, I, 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 I want to work with Dave all the time. I don't see Dave as like, oh, this guy doesn't let me do what I want, you know, old guard out, new guard in. I don't see it that way at all. It's like, how fortunate am I that I can have these conversations and he doesn't like strict me or uh, restrict me from thinking or feeling or, or discussing like the evolution of the nursery. So he's a, he's a awesome dude. Awesome dude. He actually wrote a recommendation of apprenticeship for here. Uh, years ago, when I was still in forestry, my boss in forestry even wrote a recommendation uh, to apprentice here because I was like, at that time, before we went to Colorado, I was like, I'm like, I don't know what it is about this Ryan Neal guy, but uh, I like what he's talking about. You know, it's <laughs> like, so it's like, I kind of saw like, you know, at that time, like you were not back from Japan that long uh, and you were a lot more strict. Yeah. Um, so it's like, but that was like attractive to me. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I like the discipline. I like the pressure and stuff. So um, I knew Japan wasn't in the cards for me because I was already married at that point for several years. There was no way I was going to, uh, you know, I had lost relationships in the past because I was so dedicated to forestry and there was no way I was going to do that to Katie. Um, but yeah, my, my boss in forestry wrote you a letter. Uh, Dave wrote you a letter. Uh, and, and I wrote you a letter. I still have each one of them. Uh, but it was like, I never sent them. And it was, um, uh, the reason I never sent it is because I just felt like it would be very hard on our relationship because mm-hmm. the level of commitment that it takes, you have to be all in, you, you, you do, yeah. you know, and I can be all in at the nursery, but it's still not a comparable situation as something like a full-term apprenticeship. Yeah. You know, I don't have any, uh, illusion about that. So it was like, you know, say I got accepted, well, then I wouldn't be any good for you because I, you know, it's like, 
I would have to take time from Katie. I'd be conflicted. Yeah. And it's very hard to learn if you're completely conflicted. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, but, you know, me and him had developed quite a bond at that point, but for him to um, basically let me go uh, to, to pursue what I wanted to do uh, almost made me want to stay that much more, you know, because it was full support. You know, it was, it was full support. Do you, I mean, do you look at your life and sort of the way that things have worked out and just been like, yeah, all right. Yeah. I mean, it's all I can do. I, I <laughs> regret what good is that? You know, I can't take anything back. No regret because like it, 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 it's sort of, uh, look, I, I, I don't know what people think fate and all that stuff. I, I just, I believe in serendipity. Yeah. Totally. I believe in serendipity. I think if you put, I was thinking about this. God, I was thinking about this when I was at the top of Mount Charleston outside of Las Vegas on Sunday. You know, and I'm standing in the bristle cones. That's one of one of the old growth groves up there, which I, pff, I had no idea. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. Ira and Darlene. I didn't know they were uh, there either. Uh, students of mine that live in Las Vegas. Uh, you guys rock, by the way, Ira and Darlene. But uh you know, they 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 were telling me about Mount Charleston, and and Ira co-piloted the covered wagon as we drove across the country. And so from New York, I flew from Prospect Park in Brooklyn, you know, via JFK to Las Vegas, Nevada. We landed. I, I think we went home, dropped our luggage off, and mm. drove up to Mount Charleston, and hiked up. But I'm going to say a pretty grueling hike. Mm. And I'm stand. I was standing up there. And it's perfectly quiet. There's n- nobody else there, right? On a on a Sunday afternoon outside of a populated city like Las ne- Vegas, Nevada, uh, it's a 45 minute drive up there. Like, there's no reason that people should not have been there. But this has been this has been my experience with every single old growth grove I've ever been to, you know. And and everybody, uh, we were all concerned that there was going to be a ton of people up there. It wasn't a single person up there. Every old growth grove I've ever visited has been magic. Yeah. Magic, right? And and I was sitting up there and I was just thinking about that because you can see Las Vegas, Nevada in the distance as you're looking at these ancient bristle cones. You can see the strip where mm-hmm. all the hotel all the casinos are. And I was just like, what? Like, what the fuck? What is going on? Yeah, down what there? is happening? Right. What is happening in the world? From Brooklyn and Prospect Park to Las Vegas, now we're here. There's still a connection, but not really. And, you know, like, how how does this happen every time? Like, uh, that suddenly you show up at these places and people disappear and it's just this moment where you're... And it's... um, I just started thinking, you know, serendipity, the way that serendipity has worked for me is you either put yourself in a position to experience that or you don't. Right. And that's a choice. Right. Right? That's that's a, a choice that you make to put yourself in that place. And what I hear you saying as you're telling me this story is you have made the choice to put yourself in that place yeah. or or you have trusted the instinct, which I, I think is the hardest I thing to learn. I follow my gut. That's the hardest thing to learn, though. Yeah. Right? Like, you suffer when you don't follow your gut. You're right. I, I did it on the way here. <laughs> Like, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't argue with it. The only times that I, I mess up royally is when I ignore my instinct. Yeah, me too. I do. Me I, too. I, every time. Uh, I just, 
It's not like I have an inner monologue where it's like, "Ooh, don't do that." It's just there's just something inside me that's like, it's like looking at a snake. Like, well, that's cool looking, but that, that's just gonna bite me. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like that's how I look at general stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's really awesome, but I don't think that I fit into this, uh-huh. and I I should just admire whatever it is rather than participate in it. I just, I don't know. My it's like the Colorado thing. Like that was an expensive uh, lesson to learn, but. My gut said go, and then my gut said leave. Yeah, but think about how much more costly it would have been if you wasted three or four years there and then right. came to the same conclusion. It would have been a a two hundred thousand dollar mistake instead yeah. of a five thousand dollar. You know, and it's like, and if that was if that was what it took for you to separate from forestry, then I would say that's a very inexpensive oh, yeah. lesson in in the grand scheme of had things. Had to happen. Right? Totally had to happen. But it seems like it also seems like Dave. <clears throat> the other thing that I kind of hear you saying is like, um, and this is something after Japan, like there, the beginning of my bonsai career in North America, I didn't know where my center was, mm. you know, like I, I was like strict and I came from this institutionalized sort of a, approach and, and educational structure of Mr. Kimura's and I'm back and I'm trying to like have apprentices and be really strict and that's not really me and his life wasn't really that great like right. Mr. Kimura's life isn't great as the as as one of the most groundbreaking bonsai artists in the world I I, I wouldn't want his reality right I didn't want his reality in fact I was excited to leave that reality mm-hmm. and so I'm trying to duplicate that because I don't what have a better pattern or reference and you know and then it was just like what what do i think about all this you know and that became like the 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 trying to 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 find where i orient or 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 whatever where i felt was right and that there were a lot of mistakes in there but like it sounds to me like dave knows dave and linda seem to know where their center is and it sounds to me like you and katie at least my experience with you as a person is, is that you're incredibly authentic honest and upstanding and I think you only get that when somebody knows where their center is. Yeah, I would rather be disliked for being who I am than disliked for like uh, what people think I am or something. If that makes sense, like I, I can I can accept not being liked for something uh, if it was like it just was the right thing for me to do. I can't help someone's reaction, but yeah, it. I don't. They're both of them. Yeah, it's like them not fighting at all in forty years. It's like. Well, they understood, like, what good was that? You know, there's a conversation that can be had and it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same thing with Katie. It's like, I think Katie's heard me raise my voice once and it wasn't even at her, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, um, I don't know, when you find the things in life that you really care about, all the other stuff is just like, it's a fucking waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I going to argue with this? Why am I going to fight with this? I grew up, watching my parents argue and fight, you know, uh, my parents weren't, uh, they were high school sweethearts. I mean, that's a toxic thing right there. <laughs> like you don't marry your high school sweethearts typically. Cause then you have baggage from the time you're teenagers. <laughs> so, you know, but, uh, they, it took a long time for them to separate because, you know, for one, they didn't want anybody else raising their kid. Mm-hmm. But then also too, you know, it's like that whole parent thing of, um not only do you not want them raising your kid but you just uh how can I word this um 
I'm trying to think of a way to word it where it doesn't sound terrible because it's not terrible. We'll just say it terrible, and then we can back into how you would... Yeah, just kind of... Um, it's like they felt like if they could work it out, uh, then everything would be fine for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the time that it takes sometimes to work things out, it's better to just let it go. Yeah. You know, because you, you end up causing more damage, and it was entirely accidental. Uh, but, uh, you know, Dave and Linda, it was like that was kind of the contrast. It's like I could see people I saw as parents work things out. You know, so it was like even as an adult, it was like I could learn something from that. Initially growing up, I just did the opposite. It's like, well, I seen what they did. I'm not doing that. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I think in, in the beginning, I think Katie thought I was a little too good to be true. Not in like a, I don't say that in an ego way, but because she could not ruffle my feathers so easily. Because it was like, oh, I saw the what this leads to. It's like, I'm not fighting about this. I'm not mm-hmm. arguing about this. Not to say that Katie was like trying to push my buttons or anything, but it was hard to provoke a reaction out of me because it was like, what for? I don't want to do that. Yeah. I, what, what good's going to come of this? Yeah. Uh, there's no winner in an argument. Huh. You know, there's just one of you talked better that time, but yeah. there's no winner. One of you talked better. <laughs> right. It's like... You know, it's well, it's kind of like you could be the most intelligent person in the world. You could be an amazing debater, but just because you can lace it with good words doesn't mean you're right. Yeah. It just means like you out talked them, you know. Maybe yeah. they can't communicate the way that you can, but it doesn't make them right or wrong compared to you. That's so interesting. I, I, uh, there couldn't be a more pertinent point to be made at these at this moment in time where you know facts are being thrown around yeah. with the, or, or lack thereof but 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 the talking seems to be the dominant thing but take me back to because you moved from you moved from where you were growing up you said Panama City yeah and you moved down to Orlando for the for AmeriCorps uh so uh, initially, uh, so I got into AmeriCorps when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And so at the time... Why did you... Wait, hang on just a sec. Why did you want to go into AmeriCorps? I didn't. Oh. It, it was total... So this is kind of the funny thing. So like, you know, uh, sorry, mom and dad, but 16, 17, 18, maybe as early as 15. Uh, yeah, I was... I experimented a lot with uh, hallucinogens, uh-huh. uh, acid, mushrooms, a few other things that I'm not going to say. But uh, uh, I just, it wasn't like a desire for drugs. Uh It was just like, I've never done this before. You know, it's like, I'll try anything twice. Yeah. Uh, So, um, yeah, I did that. You know, I was into Terrence McKenna. I was into Alan Watts. I'm still into Alan Watts. That dude has a lot of nuggets that are just so good. Uh, And then uh, Timothy Leary and stuff like that. Um, But uh, so... Oddly enough, uh, right when I was at the, because I did overdose one time, uh, but right after that happened, it was like, I got to get out of here. You know, I, I, it's like all my friends were doing the same thing, but they'd never done anything to me. So it was like, I can't just ignore these people. I can't just be like, you're not in my life anymore. It made me feel bad. Um, so uh, <laughs> my buddy and I saw an article in newspapers like, Travel the country, you know, sell magazines or whatever. So we're like, all right, we'll go on this magazine thing. We went, we went and met this creepy lady in the in a hotel on the beach, did an interview, and that night we were two hours away in Tallahassee in a hotel, and then we realized, what did we just sign up for? And then we find out there's this national organization of moms 
trying to take this company down because they basically take disenfranchised youth and they take them out and they um, they sell magazines and stuff. You know, they drop you off in a van, they cover your hotels, you walk neighborhoods and you get magazine subscriptions, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we realized very quickly, like, there's some crazy stuff going on here. Like, uh, these different people of all different places uh, living in hotel rooms and stuff. And uh, it was like, we may need to get out of here. Like, something, it just felt like something's going down. And, like, we got back from the day, and me and my buddy were walking to our hotel room, and we hear, like, damn it, Brian. You know, it's like, what the hell is that? Like, and it was, like, our parents and an attorney. Like, they were basically, like, trying to kidnap us back because these people were about to, like, beat the crap out of us to make sure that we stayed within this organization. What? Yeah, like, this. there's a real thing out there where they, um, they take youth or whatever. I mean, it's not like... This crazy, well, it's crazy, but uh, it's not like, a, you know, on its face, you're like, oh, this is just kind of some people out doing some stuff, you know, yeah. but uh, realistically, like, we we're probably going to get the crap beat of us that night to ensure our silence on this whole thing. So, like, they come and they get us and we get in the car and it's like, we just leave and we start driving back to Panama City and then we find out. Uh, that there's this lady who started this organization to take these people down because they got her son, and I guess he was involved in, like, a car accident, and they basically just abandon people if they don't sell enough magazines. So you could be in a city, like, hundreds of miles away from you came from, and if you're not selling enough magazines, they just don't pick you up, you know, and keep all your stuff. So it's like we didn't – we were just trying to get out of town, and then we jumped into something that was like – uh, this could be bad, <laughs> real bad. Wow. So like, yeah, in the middle, like in the darkness, these names, people are calling our names and it's like our parents and we get in and they smuggle us out of there. And like, I don't know where it went after that. I think my my mom had still contact with the lady because what I had done is I had taken some photos of some people while I was there, like some of the things that was happening in hotel rooms and those ended up being evidence that uh, to t- help take these people down. I don't know if they ever got taken down or not, but... Yeah, I had my camera, and I'm like, whoa, look at that. You know, I was taking pictures, and uh, yeah, it was a really bad place. Wow. So it's like I get back from that, and it's like, well, I still got to get out of here. You know, I still don't want to be here, even though that was crazy dangerous. (laughs) Uh, But it's like I knew, it's like I never wanted to be in Florida. Like, that's what's so crazy about being a lifelong person staying in Florida now, taking over a business. It's like I never wanted to be in Florida. Um, So... It's like I kind of slip right back into the drug thing. It's like, you know, my hair was like royal blue. You know, I was the kid that was like, I'm going to make you eat your words. I turned 18, hair is blue, ears are pierced. Uh, dare you to tell me what's up. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so I was 18 at that point. Um, and then uh, November came around. Uh, and I'm sure you can identify with this. Uh, Paul Oakenfold was coming to Underground Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'm in Panama City, like six hours away, and it was like, I still living with mom, and it was like, I'm gonna go stay the night at my buddy's house, and then we all haul ass to Atlanta, completely on drugs. Um, uh, I, I do have a bit of shame in that, um, but yeah, we partied all night long. I come home, I'm like, we drove six hours there, partied all night, drove six hours back. We only got a hotel room, take a shower, uh, and then I'm like, all right, I just got away with that, like. I left my ticket stub in my jacket. Mom finds ticket stub. 
even though I was 18, she was like, she's, the law was coming down. It was like, well, if you're going to be here, you're going to, you need a curfew. You're going to have to start coming in. And me being the person I was, I was like, nah, I'm going to go live with Robbie. <laughs> so I packed up my stuff and I moved. Uh, I had a uh, 71 Super Beetle Volkswagen at the time. Wow. You know, I was unable to care for all my stuff. I just, I had to leave. And um, uh, same thing, uh, not too long after, my mom had said there's a position coming open in AmeriCorps, and it was in AmeriCorps Florida State Parks. Um, so um, I don't know how she had heard about it. The program starts in January. This was February at this point. Um, but I went and interviewed, and uh, I got it. Someone had quit. Uh, so they had a position, but the way AmeriCorps worked at the time, it's a year commitment. It's 11 months at the time. If you completed a year, you got like, it was over $4,000 that they put in a school that it would pay for anything educational that you wanted. Um, so it was kind of like, uh, it's not what I wanted to do, but it was a job and it was outside. And, um, so the first five months they, if they could have, they, they, they would have fired me. Cause I was pale club kid coming in late, like <laughs> out there on the beach, like putting together a boardwalk, like looking like a vampire, like <laughs> just, yeah, I just, I couldn't hang man. And, uh, uh, the, the coordinator comes to me. He's like, I really like you as a person. I think you're a great kid. He's like, but I don't see how you're going to complete the program. And I'm like, an overwhelming amount of embarrassment just rushed over me where it was like, how am I going to tell people that I couldn't complete a program that won't fire me? Like, uh, I, how can I do 11 months of something and not get the final prize? I guess you could say. So at that point, uh, you know, I didn't need rehab. I didn't need to leave anymore. I just started working like 200, 240 hours a month to make up every bit of that time that I lost. And the very last project was in an area of Florida called Chipley, and it's Falling Water State Park. So it's a 100-foot waterfall. It's basically like a sinkhole that the water empties into. And 40 feet down from the surface is an overlook, you know, for the waterfall. You take the stairs down and... Uh, so the final project of that year was to replace that overlook, but most of the members had already completed their hours. So there was just kind of a few of us and, uh, I wasn't designated the leader. Uh, I just, I took the project under my wing and like, I mean, we had to rope I beams down there, hang from harnesses over this hole, uh, to put this, uh, overlook in and, uh, I just hung with it. Like December, I, I would think I was like 270 hours and my coordinator come to me and he's like, you did exactly what this program is intended to do. He said, you finished school. Uh, you got an educational credit. You completed the hours. He said, uh, you've completely turned your life around and you did it on your own. He said, next year, they're creating three team leader positions in the entire state and you're one of them. So it was like, I went from can't complete the program, pale club kid, like, <laughs> and it was just that, that embarrassment set me off where it was like, I can't tell people that, like, that's like saying, like, I failed at getting something free, you know, it was like, all I had to do was show up or yeah. you, you, you spelled your name wrong on the test. Like all I had to do was spell it right. Right. So it was like, I became at that point, yeah, I had an entire region of Florida from like Pensacola to just past Tallahassee that was entirely mine. And I was 18 years old. 
uh, and uh, I had a crew of seven. Uh, we camped at whatever park we worked at. So we would go do projects at parks. Um, uh, it could be burning projects. It could be trail building, uh, interpretive programs, ADA, ramps, uh, pole barns, uh, you name it. Um, and uh, yeah, I became team leader. Uh, I was very good at it um, as far as I had no problem getting my team together. It really taught me patience because not only did I have to work with these people all day, but I had to camp with them all night. So everybody has somebody at work. It's like, that guy sucks. I don't want to hang out with that guy, but mm-hmm. I had to live with them. You know? So it was like, I had to learn patience and I had to learn how to tactfully get these people to work as a team because it was on me. And, uh, I just felt like kind of a natural thing to do. It was like, I didn't see them as a leader or I didn't see myself as a leader. It was just like, these are our tasks. I just voiced them and voiced that they needed to be done and, and when. And, uh, so that started in January. And then by September, I had worked at a place in Destin called Henderson Beach State Park. And my task was to replace like a 1400 foot boardwalk, but they wanted to do it for pennies. So I removed every single deck board from that boardwalk, flipped it over, sanded it, put it back down, and saved them like thousands of dollars just in my team doing this. Um, And then the park manager comes to me, and I was 19 at the time, and he's like, uh, you know, you're a young guy, but uh, I'd like you to apply for that ranger position. It was like a full-time park ranger, park naturalist position. Uh, he's like, I'd like you to apply for that position. And, uh, I mean, it was very competitive. Um, so I didn't get the first one, but they had two positions come open. He didn't tell me he knew the second was coming open because he couldn't, uh, but he knew I was probably going to get one of them. So at 19 against 88 other applicants, I got that job over people that were far more qualified than me, but I had worked in 30 something state parks at that time. So I could speak the park language. Mm-hmm. I knew the diversity in the parks. Uh, and I, I felt very comfortable with it. Um, so, yeah, my career went from basically AmeriCorps. You know, I didn't get to the full two-year point of AmeriCorps. I did one full year, got my educational credit, uh, did the second part, and then I got hired as a ranger. And, uh, yeah, it just uh, is kind of funny. Like, the guys there, it's a terrible nickname. I probably shouldn't even say it, but... Um, the guys there one night, they didn't know one guy got hired after me and he was like a foreman for like a power company. And like, he just saw like a kid that just bested him and, uh, they were trying to break the ice. You know, they're like, you know, would you like to, you know, go out for a drink or something later? And I'm like, well, I'll go. I was like, I can't drink. And they're like, well, why not? And I'm like, I'm 19. And they're like, Oh shit! We'll just have to take you to Chuck E. Cheese, and it's like from then on, like all I got called was Chucky. I don't think some of those people even knew my name was David, but um, yeah, I just, uh, I just, I don't know. Uh, I really liked, um, you know, when campers come in, kind of do the interpretive programs to kind of teach them about turtles or burning or or, or whatever it was, and. Um, you know, it just became very political after four or five years. You know, they have the three T's, tickets, toilets, and trash, where it's like your guests coming in are the most important thing. And then it did feel like the environmental stuff was secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of festered in me that it was like, um, that that it was that way. Uh, and then, you know, because it was a beach park, you know, there was drownings and stuff. There were suicides. Like, I, you know, I found a lady that had 
committed suicide and you know I'd done CPR on a guy and gave him AED but he had drowned too long so there was just so many other things that involved um so then I went on a red carded incident I went on a fire and it was like oh yeah <laughs> there's no people here my only my only uh concern is my team and myself and staying safe is like I took away all the political bureaucracy of it and then it was like well now I'm doing something that is cons- you know like nature conservancy kind of it's, it's a greater good not just like how much money can we make the state but how can we take care of it how can we prevent it from loss and uh that was it man it was like the fire that was the bee's knees like getting chased by something that's going to kill you I mean, that sounds like odd in itself, but uh, yeah, talk about the feeling of rewarding. Oh, the the blacker my boogers were, I worked hard that day. Like I had hell of a smoke. I, I was crushing it, you know? It was wow. like, uh, that was kind of my niche, but, and I did that for um, uh, six years, uh, just fire detection, suppression, and prevention. Um uh, and that was where kind of I started. Working for the state? Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah. uh, see, in Florida, uh, the, um, Forestry Service is the state's disaster response. So not only did we do fires, but the off-season of fires is hurricane season. So, you know, I'd go hurricane responses, Virginia, you know, uh, Texas, you know, anywhere those places. Um, but then we also did things like uh, African sea snails, you know, because those things are like this big like the size of a football, and they'll eat stucco off a house. So that's an incident. We would deal with that. We would go down there to capture them or um, eradicate them. Um, Fruit flies, the impact that on the agricultural industry in Florida, like Mm -hmm. we would go and we would set bait traps all over across the South, like, you know, knocking on people's doors and like, hey, I have to get in there and, you know, spray your tree or whatever. And I mean, it was just all, all sorts of incidents. But the thing that was really hard is I was gone a lot. You know, I could be gone two weeks. I could be gone two weeks, come back, be gone another two weeks. Um, so it was like uh, I was already doing it for five years before I met Katie. Uh, but then when I met Katie, it was like well, now I kind of have a reason to be home. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like leaving all the time just didn't feel as worth it anymore. I still love the work, uh, but you know, being in the Orlando district. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it, but Florida is the lightning capital of the country. Colorado being number two. Uh, you know, you have the um, the weather in the Atlantic, you have the weather in the Gulf, and then you have the northern stream pushing down on that. So it's kind of the perfect storm. So where I was was like fire capital of Florida. So because I was so close to Orlando, Katie could turn the TV on and there'd be a helicopter flying over me and she'd have to watch my tractor and me like navigating this fire and it would just, it, she never complained, never complained, but she would be awake when I got home. Mm-hmm. If I came home, you know, cause some, I may go to work in Orlando in the morning and I may be chasing fires like three hours away by the end of the day. Uh, I may be in my track for 24 hours before I got relief because there's only about eight rangers per county average in Florida. So uh, you as an individual could handle 100, 200 acres by yourself, depending on the severity of it. So if it was a bad fire season where we have like hundreds of thousands of acres burning, she literally could just, it's not like watching the fires out west where you don't see the firefighters directly unless they have a hose. Um, she could see me out in the middle of nowhere. Um, 
with no resource, no, no help, and see me moving that tractor along, putting that fire out. So it was like, there was an impact being made there, but she didn't want to take away what I'd worked so hard for. So it was like, you know, that was like, okay, I need to get out of firefighting. I, I, you know, maybe I should just be a forester because I didn't really want to leave. Foresters are degreed positions. Um, so that was kind of what led me to, well, we'll go to Colorado. We honeymooned out there, loved it. When Mount Evans saw the bristle cones, Garden of the Gods, I mean, we drove Trail Ridge Road, camped in Moraine, listened to the elk bugle all night. It was like, this is where we need to be, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, <laughs> But we had not considered all those things that we were losing. Yeah, You can always vacation to Colorado, but uh, you may not see your family again. So it was like, uh, yeah, it, it was easy and hard to leave. It was hard to give up the consistent income. Uh, but... Uh, the last couple of years I was there, and this is the thing that people don't realize about the things that firefighters, uh, I'll just say wildlands particular in this point, um, like a city firefighter, you know, they're 24 on, 24 off. Um, if they need to be off, one will always willingly fill that position because it's an overtime opportunity. Well, in the state uh, and even in cases in the federal government, um, say I'm out there for two weeks, I'm, you know, 14 hours, 16 hours a day. Uh, I could just not come home. I could, I could die. Uh, well, say it starts raining very heavily. Uh, they don't say, all right, you know, we'll go ahead and pay and, you know, uh, hang out in your station. They just put you off completely where it's like, now we don't have to pay you because now you're going to take this time off. And it's like, I can't get the time back with my family. Like, no one else is on vacation. What the hell am I supposed to do now? It's mm-hmm. like, I don't have money and I don't have anything to do. Yeah. So it's like, you know, when you start feeling that little, uh, it's like, yeah, it's okay for me to put my life on the line. It's okay that people are getting put in the ground because they died for this. And it's a numbers game. You know, it's like, that's the thing that just, it burns my ass up thinking about the wildfires now. And they're like, oh, this is forced mismanagement. It's like, Excuse me? Who the hell sets the budget for it? Oh, the one criticizing the bad management? Well, you didn't want to fund these things. You didn't want to fund it because it was like, it's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, there's a consequence to that. It's called people's houses burned down. Yeah. That's, that's mismanagement by not giving them the resources to uh, do as much prevention as possible. Uh, so it's those kind of things, yeah, it kind of wore on me. And then, yeah, going to Colorado, like, I had to do it. That's the only way I was going to get out of that. I did not want to be a career complainer. Uh, you know, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to rely on a union for the state to do what is right for a person who gives everything to them. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't need a union for that. It's just the right thing to do is to take care of the people who take care of others. So it's like, I, I just saw myself like that depression creeping in of like, oh man, I... I love my job, uh, but uh, not only could it kill me, but it would leave nothing for Katie if it did. So it was like, I'll go to school for be a forester, and then I can still be helpful. Uh, I could still do firefighting assignments if I wanted to, but uh, I wouldn't have to. She wouldn't have to turn the TV on and see me, you know, risking it all mm-hmm. basically. And I never had to deploy a shelter. Uh, I. I could say that I almost got burned over once and then a helicopter dropped a bucket on me and it was like, 
I, yeah, it was cool. It scared the bejesus out of me because I didn't know he was there. <laughs> it was just like, vroom, this like huge sound on me. And it's like, and then over the radio, sorry, bud, see your number. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't know what was happening. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I can't say that I, I was in the same position as many other people. Uh, maybe uh, I always believe in maintaining a healthy amount of fear, you know, not being so complacent that uh, you just, you risk everything. And that's, yeah. whether it's a bonsai, whether it was firefighting or whatever, fear is healthy, mm-hmm. you know? So um, it was just all those, all those factors of not, it wasn't just doing the work of being a ranger. It was like, you had all those other things that just, I mean, everybody that does that job, they do it because they love it. It's not for money. If it was for money, uh, we'd be screwed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it just, so going to school for a forester, like, Colorado, we're leaving. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, we saved up for two years, paid off debt, saved up the money to do it, uh, and then did it. Uh, coming back <laughs> was <laughs> you, crazy. You, you got there, and then you said, hey, uh, yeah, uh, I don't really know what, um, I don't, I don't think we should do this. Oh, it was embarrassing, <laughs> man. Like, when I called my parents, they're like, oh, how's it going? How are you loving? It's like, I'm coming home and moving in. <laughs> like, I have to come back to somewhere. I don't have a house there anymore. So um, can I stay with you? You know, of course they were stoked because they were like, "Yeah, we didn't want you to go anyway." Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, even then, it's like coming back. Uh, I got a job that I absolutely hated uh, with a company called CMEX. I, I delivered drywall because I had so much heavy equipment operator experience that. Yeah. Uh, I could drive that large truck and operate the crane to like a four-story building. And like, I, I just, that's the kind of pressure I love. You know, it's like, oh, you want me to put this like 5,000 pounds through a tiny hole in the wall? Like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you know, see, like, let's, see, let's see how this goes. I hated it because then I went from like being in a government type position to like the private sector. And then I saw the dirty side of the private sector and it's like, oh man, you know, so... But I, it was a way to survive while we were both in school. Katie came back. Uh, she got her degree in environmental science uh, at FSU. Uh, and then uh, we transferred to Gainesville so I could start school for horticulture and everything. So it was like, um, oh, I did leave out one part that was uh, life-changing. Uh, so when I got back from Colorado uh, and we were, I was already in CMEX for a few months and then we were going to move. Well, in between that, I knew it's like, all right, I'm starting school. I need to kind of, I don't know if sabbatical is the right word. And it's like, I need this kind of like, we need like a pilgrimage. We need to struggle. So it's like, I've always liked kayaking. That's, that's like a, that's a high for me. Like it's flying, you know, that's the way it feels. Uh, so um, we paddled a 650 mile trail, like on our kayaks. And uh, Katie was the first female to try it. Uh, she made it 174 miles before the upper body because there's no current. We did this. We paddled every 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 bit of it. Uh, and she, first female to try it, she made it. Uh, she, she tried so hard. But uh, I hate to say it, but I mean, her, her body just wasn't built for it. Yeah. It's so much upper body. Yeah. These are 14-foot boats. We're carrying all of her food, all of our gear. Um, we're completely isolated for this period. And, uh, Patrick did it with me, my buddy, the school bus that I'm wearing here. Um, 
but yeah, we we set off on that in hottest time of the year, Alabama, in freaking June and July. Like, yeah, I like punishment. Uh, so it starts in the northern part of Alabama, and it's a series of lakes connected by different rivers, and it dumps out in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh-huh. And um, some of those lakes was like a 20-mile across paddle. And our longest day was a little over 40 miles uh, with no current that we just, you know, it's like once it's in my head, it's happening. I'm doing it, you know. So we started that. Uh, we actually did it the fastest um, there was only 11 people to do it before us. Uh, and we did, we were 12 and 13, not like they were right before us, but over time. Yeah. Uh, we did the entire 650 miles in 25 days with no current calling all of our shit. We took two days off in Montgomery at like a halfway point, uh, to have an actual shower and we ate lots of ice cream because <laughs> it was like way hot. But yeah, we had like mayors of towns come out and like interview us because they were like, it was kind of like a micro tourism thing. Like, you know, it was like, oh, we support the trail and kind of like the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we did it. And uh, how did people know you were doing it? How would mayors know? Well, the, the, the guy who ran the trail organization, he would tip people off. Like uh-huh. news, or news, like if they wanted to come out and interview us or something like that, he would tip them off because um, we would check in with them. Just how so. did you find out about this? Like, how did you even set this goal? Oh, I just kind of Googled, like, how to make life miserable. Like, <laughs> no, I just... it uh, <laughs> How to experience something that really right. sucks. Well, it's like I, there was no time to do the Appalachian Trail because that's like a solid six-month commitment. Um, I had uh, maybe a month and a half before having to show up at the other job and start school. So it was like um, limited time. We almost did the Mississippi. Initially, we were going to paddle the entire Mississippi from Minnesota to the Gulf because believe it or not, that takes like two months because of the current. Um, So we were initially going to do that, and it was like there just wasn't enough portage places or guarantee. You'd have to abandon your boat, hide it in the woods, go get groceries, come back, and hope it's still there. So it was just too many logistics stuff that just wasn't very good. Um, and we knew we wanted to do something. Patrick was leaving Florida. He had hiked the Appalachian Trail previously. He wanted to move to Seattle to do Rainier and stuff. So it was like his schedule was like kind of lined up. It was before me and Katie were going to start new jobs in school and the other place. It was like, this is the time we have. This is the most painful experience we can come up with. So uh, this is what we did. You know, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't mind the punishment. And um, so, yeah, we did the trail. Uh, 25 days and uh, then started, you know, started school, started all that, kind of got all that out of our system. It's like, when can we take a trip like that again? Where it's like, I don't work for the next two months. Yeah. You know, so it was just, we needed that to kind of wipe the Colorado out. Of yeah. Like, you know, it's almost like you, bad reference, almost like you're washing away your sins in a way. It's like, you know, I, I came through that. Uh, I set another goal. I came through that. I'll be fine from here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we started school. And then here comes the nursery and all these things, you know. We're in Gainesville. I started school for horticulture. I absolutely hated school growing up. Uh, it wasn't the learning. I just didn't want to be around a bunch of people. Like, I'm, I am very much of an introvert. Like, a lot of people find it hard to believe because... 
I seem like such a social butterfly when I'm talking, but it's easy for me to talk about something I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in my environment of my home, like it's very easy for me to be like, I don't hear a phone or like, I don't, I didn't hear the door knocking, you know? Uh, I, it's very rare that I let people into my personal space in that regard. Um, you know, Ryan, which I don't know where he went, but Ryan Williams downstairs, it's like he's one of the first people I've met in that area where, um, I just really dig his commitments to his work. He's there's no ego behind it. It's like it's another one of those because it's the right thing to do mm. the way he does what he does. But um, yeah, just Dave, Linda, and that's kind of what Katie and I had there. And uh, you know, school. I enjoyed school. School is fine. Uh, it's still the bonsai scene is still kind of hard because um, there is a huge age gap. Yeah. Floor is a retirement state. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you know, out in North Florida is different than South Florida. Like North Florida people are native. It's like they don't really think of things as bone size is like, oh, how much time is this going to take? But a lot of times when people move from somewhere else to Florida, they came with that retirement mentality. It's like, well, I'm here because I have limited time. So they're far less, not always, but more often than not, less interested in committing to a long-term like tree project or whatever kind of went off on a tangent there but um but yeah just that's kind of what brought me to central florida i never wanted to stay in florida like even as a kid don't take me to the beach i don't want sand in my ass like i'm not interested in this like i i just i was never uh i springs give me a lawn chair i'll sit in the spring i'm I'm tight i don't need anything else Uh you know but uh, when I would go to the mountains, like specifically like Bryson City, like kayaking, uh, rafting the Nantahala and stuff, it was like, dude, I got to be here. Mm-hmm. And then to mind blow you, I meet Katie. Like Katie's grandfather has a family cabin on Nantahala Lake. Mm. And it's like, we don't even have to live there. We can go visit there. Uh, so we can still have our family, all our normalcy, but... The whole thing we wanted all along, we already had it. You know, it was just, I don't know. It's like a weird, everything seems to come back around. I never really thought about it until Dave put it in perspective. Uh, there was a, a World Boneside Day where, uh, of course, I'm the only younger person, but uh, there was like a panel discussion. It was uh, Louise Lester, uh, Randy Clark, uh, Mary Miller, um, Mike Rogers, and me. And it's like these all these people have decades. And it's like, what am I doing here? And uh, Dave is introducing each one of us, and, like, he told a story about me that I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I, I do, I've never met anybody in my life that seems like this is absolutely where they belong. You know, and, like, that's what, what he was saying about me. Like, this is exactly, like, where he was supposed to be, like a collision thing. And, you know, it's like sitting up here with these people I respect and hearing, like, well, I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. Like... I couldn't avoid it if even if I wanted to. And uh yeah, it's like starting in Panama City, you know, selling magazines, like probably gonna get the crap beat out of me, <laughs> like, you know, and then you know, joining AmeriCorps, not wanting to be in Florida, you know, just doing super well at that, jumping into the park service, then into forestry, and then here we go to Colorado, come back, and it's like these would be fatal mistakes for people's lives you know, for families or income and stuff. And it was like, what in the hell else would I have done? Like, it's perfect. Yeah. Like, I don't know. 
Maybe it's because I was open to the chaos. Uh, it worked. It seems as though you embraced it. You, you know, you, you, funny you say that. Randy Davis, uh, um, he, he kind of looks like Gandalf the Grey's uh, bonsai guy and um, I think Paducah, Kentucky, somewhere yeah. around there. Uh, I met him at the Nashville show like years ago. So this dude rolls up in rainbow suspenders, uh, gray sweatpants, sandals, got his Gandalf beard rocking. And then uh, I'm like, oh, what are you I'm like? What's with you and trees? And he's like, throws his hands up. He's like, I embrace the crazy. And like ever since then, I'm like, you're one cool dude. Like, and cool I kind of, I, I from, love that guy. Yeah. He's like, I mean, yeah. So it, yeah. In that regard. Yeah. I just kind of. I make no excuses, and if it works out, uh, and if it doesn't work out, hey, it is supposed to be that way. Wow. All I can do is try. Wow. I, it's interesting to hear you talk about Florida and how much you tried to get away from it, because uh, because you did the Florida study blog post that's on on com, and it's like... A, talk about a mind bender. It sounds like I'm like in love with it. Y- yeah, yes. And I, and I am yes. now, because I now... I mean, when you're younger, you always uh, miss the things that are important because you're, you're, you're focused on what you want uh, and you, you don't see a lot of the things that you already have. And yeah, growing up, it's like, this place sucks. I don't want to be here. And then as an adult, especially getting into bonsai, I'm like, screw you, other 49 states. Like, we got stuff that you don't. We mm-hmm. rock. You know, it's like, but it took that, you know. Uh, when you would come, uh, I don't remember, I don't remember what year this was, but uh, I was coming to see Mary, and I called Mary, Mary Madison, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm gonna come down or whatever, and, you know, look at some some trees." And she's like, "Oh, well, that's cool. Mike and uh, Ryan are on their way here too." And I'm like, "Who?" And she's like, "Yeah, Ryan, Neil, and Fiducy." I'm like, "What?" Like, "Well, shit, I'll be there soon," you know. And it's like, <laughs> uh, and then yeah, I got there, and um, I don't think we, I don't think we talked about it there. I think Mike asked me what some of the the, the pine trees that you had saw on the yeah. way. Um, but then, yeah, like, I guess you had kind of an experience seeing it differently and then you had contacted me about writing the article and it's yeah. like, I mean, I had always thought about it before, but was I jaded? Sure. Used to seeing it. But, uh, I started thinking, it's like, well, I've worked all across the North. I'm from the North. I've, I've worked all across, like my grandmother, she volunteered in Everglades every year. And when they're off season, she'd go to Yellowstone. So it was like, I'd been to Everglades like so many times and like, I'd seen all these natural environments. So like when you had said something about writing the article, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can do that. And then as I was writing, it's like I kept falling more and more in love with the things mm-hmm. that I was writing about. And it's like, and then, uh, yeah, then I want to go beat my chest like, yeah, Florida. Yeah. Well, this is the whole thing though, you know, because then that trickled down into you and I talking about potentially doing a film project in yeah. Florida, which 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 I'm still, uh, especially now, there's sort of projects that we're working on at Mirai that I think are pushing in that direction. Yeah, uh, and I, I, it's such a weird thing because Florida gets such a bad rap for all the crazy people that do crazy shit. There. Yeah, but as a natural state. It's one of the most fascinating components yeah. of North America that exists. I mean, it, it, it is really a is. truly special place. There's things there, you know, uh, it's like half of all the native tree species in the United States naturally occur there. Well, if you add all the exotic species, there's more species in Florida than all the other 49 states combined. Yeah. And it's like... Um, 
that that can't equate to like 40 species of bonsai. Yeah. You know, and there's plenty of things that people say, oh, you can't do that. It's not possible. And it's like, well, what'd you do to not make it possible? It's like, that's not to say, it's not that I'm like, oh, I can do it and you can. It's like, well, I need to know that I can't do it. I don't know, well, how did you do your soils? I don't know how you did your water, yes. how you did your light. Because it is very different, you know. Um, it's the thing that I explain to people all the time. It's, you know, because they'll be like, well, I thought you couldn't do that or I thought that this didn't exist. And I'm like, in this part of Florida, but further south, absolutely. It's the hardest thing to teach where it's like, uh, say someone like Eric down south, like he can defoliate a cypress or repot it when it's flipping hot outside, you know, because those trees, that's what they're used to. It's never that cold there. If I did that four hours north, that thing's dead uh, because it is dramatically um, based on the weather. So south Florida, winter is triggered by the absence of rain, you know, when hurricanes die down or these things. So that's when the trees know the drought is coming. This is winter. In the northern part of Florida, it is the cold fronts that come down. It is heavily temperature, and that's when the trees know, all right, it's winter. So it's like trying to teach someone how to do something as simple as Cypress, it's like, like, where do you live? Like, because this, uh, this perfectly true information that I'm giving you now, like two hours away, like, you got a dead tree. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it does... It creates conflict amongst artists. It creates conflict amongst those artist students, and it creates confusion on what the right thing to yep. do is for species. So it does make the job of teaching a little bit more difficult. Uh, but then it's here we are in that chaos thing again, where I'm like, I'm running right toward it, where it's like, well, I really want you to understand it. You know, it's not that, you know, you're not wrong for what you're doing. You're not wrong for what you're doing. You're just not appreciating what's right about the two of you. Because, mm -hmm. like, it is right what that guy's doing. It is right what's going on there. It's fine that it's not the same. Same species? Sure. Um, maybe some certain techniques are the same. But as far as, like, the, the cold weather and the watering, the light, it's a, it's a drastic difference just driving two hours away. That's fascinating. Yeah. I never, even with you saying this now, I, I never put it together that Florida had such a dramatic diversity to the degree that that then becomes the conversation. Yeah. And I typically do. I will say this, like in Bonsai, all the, all the misinformation that exists. I mean, enough misinformation exists that Michael Hagedorn wrote a book about the misinformation, right? right? Bonsai right. heresy. And, and in my experience, you know, 10 years ago, Rocky Mountain junipers couldn't be a bonsai. And it's like, well, yeah, tell me about that now. Right. I, I agree with you. It's like, I need to know, not because I feel like I'm special yeah. to be able to do it. It's just like so much misinformation has occurred. But I, I and so I pu I've always pushed back on saying like two hours makes a difference, but but Florida is a Florida is a special place. It, yeah, it is. It is because and most people don't even think of it because they think like oh well it's at sea level, what's, and, and it doesn't what's have a different? mountain range that would right. cause that kind of or microclimates like the coastal range of California. But or, say like where these. I am, like we can have those a lot of deciduous things. Like we we can ground grow maples, we can propagate maples. Uh, they stay under the shade. So Ocala area is what's called like the Central Florida Shelf. It's like one of the oldest sand hills in Florida. So I literally get colder and have more chilling hours than the the Georgia Alabama line part of Florida. And I'm part of the peninsula, just the northern part. But just 
just the way the weather's compact, like it gets very cold there. Mm. Like it, it wouldn't be weird for me to have like a 15 degree morning. Uh, is that going to be good for a buttonwood? That's a Florida native. Hell no. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's why we lose so many native species is because if you think you're going to paint with a wide brush in Florida, like just go ahead and kill the tree. Cause it's going to die. You know, uh, Mary, she's collected who knows how many buttonwoods since the 1970s. Uh, we, we were discussing like, well, how much, how many of those do you think could possibly be alive today? And it's a sad thing to to think that 70% of those, 80% of those are no longer alive. Mm-hmm. And it's simply because someone took the damn thing and was like, I'm going to practice bonsai and I'm not going to take any of the consideration of the climate. So my relationship with BSF, like uh, when I kind of came in, like I was very observant for many years. I, I would go to the board meetings and stuff because anybody can come. And I would just kind of listen and observe. And, you know, Dave being a predecessor, uh, you know, I would, what was it like 10 years ago, 20 years ago? You can read the old magazines that Louise would write or Ed Trout and stuff like that. But at no point in any of these things did anyone ever discuss not only the demographics of people, but the demographics of trees, depending on where they are, because it was focused on the art form of bonsai. Well, if you're going to practice the art form of bonsai in Florida, like how can you exclude the very ground you stand on? Mm-hmm. And it's like, so I more or less wrote up kind of a proposal of why I thought membership fails and why I thought learning fails. And uh, I don't think they knew how to deal with me because it was like, whoa, you're not like rocking the boat, but it's like, who's... No one's saying it. Like, if this was true, would more people be saying? And it's like, it's not my fault. Nobody's looking at it. You know, this is the forester, the forest ranger in me, like the AmeriCorps kid in me, the the kid hanging over my grandfather's boat, staring at cypress trees as a kid. You know, it's like that's the observant part of me, where it's like uh, how I kind of got onto is what first rule of public speaking: know your audience. So as I would travel and do programs around the state, I would tailor those to the people that were in those regions. Uh, so then it was very easy to adapt to, well, your trees. Well, okay, you have a ficus in South Florida, you have a ficus in North Florida, you still can't do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a forgiving tropical or not. You know, so it's like when I started tackling the issues that we had from that perspective, a lot of things made more sense. People weren't failing, they were just totally misunderstanding what they were, where they were. You know, if I retired and moved to Florida, it'd be like, everything is Florida. You know, it's like, you would never see these differences in weather and stuff because your time is limited. Yeah. Someone who's from there, born there, they've seen hurricanes. They've seen cold spells. They've seen all that stuff. So they have a bit familiarity with it and it makes them a lot more reserved to participate in the art because they understand what they're up against. So it's like the Northern half there's very little bonsai activity. There's not, excluding Jacksonville, um, maybe three clubs across the entire north part of Florida. Uh, further south, uh, one in every county, one in every city. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, the I-4 corridor is not just a political divide in Florida. It's a divide for species. It's a divide for people, for interests and everything. So, uh you could probably correct me on this if I'm wrong, but 
the way I understood California and the way they handled bull and size societies, like the North obviously had a different trajectory than what the South. So they would host a convention here, convention down there. So everybody was kind of appeased. And mm-hmm. that's the fear that I've had in Florida is that divide where it's like, there's so many differences that no one's looking at them as natural differences because of the state, because of the landmass, because of the differences in people that they just simply won't get along rather than be like, whoa, man, what you're doing up there is incredible. Oh, what you're doing down there is incredible. It's like that I'm trying to find that union between those thoughts and beliefs where it's like you can appreciate one another's thing. There's no criticism. And not to say that everybody in Florida has like a thorn in their side. I think most people in Florida have a thorn in the side to the way the rest of the 49 states perceive them more so than like an internal kind of thing. But there is a gap in learning with horticulture uh, in Florida, which is not to say that it's more important than any other state, but because of the environmental factors, it is incredibly important to understand the horticulture part of bonsai. Yeah. Because we don't have Rocky Mountain. I mean, we don't have Rocky Mountain juniors. We don't have pines. We don't have all these. We have buttonwoods. That is basically our old ancient trees. Yeah. Uh, yes, cypress. Cypress are everywhere. Buttonwood is, that's us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also other equator countries and states, but that's Florida. And yeah. it's like, it's my biggest fear that because of general bonsai practice, that there will be no more collectible buttonwoods in my lifetime. It's a very real possibility. Very probable. And it's one thing that I, I very much respect about Mary is... uh you know, in forestry, you have what's called BMPs. It's like best management practices where if, say, if you're going to do timber long or you're marking, you're not just going to go out and like just pillage the landscape. You're selectively do it. So then you have older generations, you have older growth. Uh, so Mary, like when she collects, she's not like, ah, here's a sweet acre of buttonwoods. You know, she goes through and she's like, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. So if you didn't know she was there, you wouldn't know she was there. Mm-hmm. She made no environmental impact in that way. Um, younger generations, I can get that much for that tree. I can get that much for that tree. I can get that much for that tree. I'm taking every damn one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's it sucks in that regard. And that's not to say that it's it's every practitioner. It's very few that actually um, are, are going for that gold rather than... Um, promoting the species, promoting the art form or the Florida environment. It, it is a limited number, but it's just enough to wipe them out. Yep. Just enough. I feel like that's the case with every good collecting ground though, yeah. right? Like you, you, you really do hope. And I think this is where just simply the, the support of collectors that ethically collect mm-hmm. is such an important component of it. I, you know, I know I've known Randy for a very long time, known Mary for a really long, quite a while too, since I was in high school. I've known Mary. Oh, yeah. She loves to talk about your boxers. It's yeah. her favorite story. <laughs> oh, he had to change his pants. I don't remember if you had hearts on your boxers, but like, I think she's told more people that story than anything. It's That's like, great. okay, Mary, you like his underwear. It's cool. <laughs> That's great. Mary, I met Mary in high school and uh, I, I love Mary. I mean, I, Naka gave her her name, you know, the queen, you know. Buttonwood queen. She just, yeah. Mary's classy. Her and Ed Trout would be like the male and female, uh, most classy gentleman, lady kind yeah. of personalities yes. uh, in the state, I, hands down. I think ambassadors in 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 North America. Yeah. Uh, I, I really do. I think, and it, 
Yeah, Florida is is such a is such a perfect mystery, and and especially for somebody or people who don't live in Florida, and like you're saying, people that yeah. come in at a point where they're not investing in the state or understanding right. these things, and and the dynamic that that creates. But I I just can't help but continue to circle back to the fact that it's very fortunate that things worked out. And it's like you look at all of the random circumstances that create the random skill sets, experiences, systems of value, ethics, morals for an individual, mm -hmm. right? Like, like Randy never planned on being the best collector in the world. Right. That wasn't he didn't set out to get himself educated to be a right. good Yamadori collector. Mary, Mary was like, those trees are rad. TJ, go dig that up. I want that. You know, mm -hmm. it's like she showed up on the scene in a club in Miami and they're like, where the hell did you get these? Who are you? Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, I kind of dug that up. It's cool." Just, a, it's just, like, just. A, but, 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 what I'm recognizing about you is that, oh, oh Americorps, because like I'm out raving at a Paul Oakenfold. You know, and I got blue hair and I, right. and I love psychedelics, and now I'm freaking trying to, you know, like I got thrown into this. I was gonna get molested by some magazine right. salesperson. Beat up. <laughs> suddenly, I'm, you know, suddenly I'm here. And then, like, you embrace the pain, and uh, and then you become, and you're educated about this entire ecosystem, and you're working with all of these different people, and you're seeing all of these landscapes and species, and and then you try to run away from it, but it won't let you go. It won't. It, 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 you keep getting no. pulled back and keep getting pulled back, and, and suddenly you're becoming the person that hasn't necessarily been capable of potentially merging all of this knowledge to help Florida bonsai have a more positive reputation or yeah. have the knowledge that makes sense of the, the, the of, of the intricacies yeah. and the nuances that unless that gets put together, it's never going to have an opportunity right. to find that common middle ground or peace or prosperity or positivity right. that really ultimately when you think about Florida, it, it really does deserve that yeah. as a bonsai community, as a uh, reference and representation of a very special ecosystem in not just the North American continent, but on the world scale, Florida is a very special place, Yeah, you know, and most people think Florida is the shits because of the human aspect of Florida and right. the, the, the discontent that exists there. But, uh, and, and for me, you, you cracked the code for me when you wrote the blog post. I yeah. mean that that was just where it was like holy jeez what that was a wild experience cuz like I never read blogs before and like you know I wrote what I would have submitted a professor kind of mm -hmm. you know it's it's easier for me to write a very factual based kind of thing but when Kendall hit me with like yeah I kind of need it in like a blog style I'm like oh I don't know how to write a blog what the hell are you talking about so like I had to learn a completely new writing style to do that and I I would go to the library and I would sit there for four or five hours and just go over these sentences. Like I totally understood what she was saying. And like, it was interesting from a term paper perspective, but I would have lost someone. Mm -hmm. And like that experience of writing that learn how to conform to that style of writing made it easier to communicate that to people in person. Mm -hmm. Cause it was like, uh, I could give them the reason of stuff, but I need to make it very exciting. I need to make them like love what I'm saying. So they're like, I'm going to go home and practice that. You know, it's like, but that 
her notes on that really transitioned like part of the way that I would communicate to people that nitty gritty science stuff or, oh, interesting. you know, yeah, that was, that was a necessary experience for me hmm. to, to write that, um, you know, as a, as a whole, you know, just doing general workshops or anything like, you know, it was like, I can give you like, uh, two paragraphs of information, uh, or I can do like two really great sentences where you're just like, tell me more, uh-huh. you know, and she really drilled that, like, you know, writing into tell me more. So where they're just like, they don't stop. Yep. So it was like, even doing that verbally, it was like, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. I had to read a lot of uncomfortable blogs that I just didn't enjoy <laughs> reading to get it, but it was worth it. It was a, worth it. A lot of uncomfortable blogs about, you know. Ah, oh, man, I just, I, I enjoy reading anything that is incredibly factual, but like, I, I don't have an imagination. Like, I can't, uh, you know, I can't picture um, someone's else's picture, you yeah, know, it's yeah, like, I, I, I have to conceptualize it for me to get it, you know? And, uh, uh, yeah, I had to learn how to do that. Uh, and that was a whole lot of red that she left on the paper that I just went through and I'm like, I'm going to get this, you know, I'll show you, I can write this. And it yeah. was like, and then when I resubmitted it, no corrections. And it was like, okay, that was worth the personal frustration of learning this, sitting in the library for hours, like it's like I, every bit of it was worth it. Yeah. And then in doing so, I came out of it even more appreciative of Florida, mm. even more. So, mm. yeah, I, I enjoyed writing that. You know, I, I've started writing, uh, you know, cause I, you know, I s- stayed with Mary and stayed with Ed cause I wanted to tell there's uh, more film projects going on about Florida now. And I had been recording audio uh, to try to compile like a, almost like a um, uh, an anthology of Florida species and and people. But with the video things coming out, I'm already seeing con- conflicts in what I was told in an interview and what they're told in an interview. So, wait, who's doing video projects in Florida? Uh, there's a, um, a, like a Florida bonsai documentary where they're you know they're trying to capture a lot of Florida. Oh, good. Yeah, good. The only thing that and this isn't, if the guy's here, this isn't a negative thing to you. It's just, there is, uh, capturing Florida bonsai, uh, as a documentary and there's capturing, uh, Florida, um, like parts of it. Like mm-hmm, it doesn't, environment. it doesn't feel, and it may come out that way, but it doesn't feel at this point where it's like, um, it's, it, it covers the entire landmass. And I don't mean just from a science perspective, but I mean from like just the art form perspective, because there are a lot of people across the South who want that attention. They want that notoriety. So, um, of course they're willing to give you hours of video. And it's like, you know, there's people like Dave who are like, they're not in it for any of those things. Not to say that the other people totally are, they're just doing a Florida project, no dissing, uh, but uh, I don't know if you can capture all the it's personalities. Impossible. It's, it's very hard. And for it to feel that it's fair to everyone, uh, they have no idea how difficult tasks they're up against. And, you know, I, I hope they do it. I, I hope they're able to capture all these personalities. But 
Uh, it is write a book. It's tough. Yeah, write a book. Then. I really want to do one that covers just so many of the species because there are a lot of things that I've been exposed to in forestry that the general public can never see because if they did, they would cut it up, they would collect it, it would be gone. You know, you. you it's like we were talking about Hyperon and Methuselah. It's like, oh, yeah, I put a trail there. Somebody's going to go and say if one person took one little sliver of bark, it's like, this is from Methuselah. By the time 100 people did it, like, goodbye. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I, there's so many parts of Florida that I would love to share. But it's like, it's that ranger mentality me where it's like, take nothing but photos, leave nothing but footprints. You know, so if I introduce somebody into that, I effectively kill the species by just letting them know. It's funny that you say that because uh, when Ricardo and I were working on kind of the Redwood project, we reached out to Steve Sillett, who's kind of the the leading research researcher of of ancient trees and ma- mainly main, mainly the tallest trees in the world, mm-hmm. right? And he's a professor at Humboldt State. And, uh, and so we're going to do this beautiful piece on redwoods, uh, and go down and film the Prairie Creek Grove, which is where the the biggest tree exists and whatnot. And, uh, never forget, I wrote him this and I was just like, we would really love to interview you and, you know, like highlight these, these, these ancient massive beings. And, and he wrote me back and he's like, the last thing I want to do is talk to you. And it was literally like a two or three sentence email where this person that I'm just like, you know, I respect him immensely for his right. research and his work. He's just like, fuck you yeah. and your project. I want no part too. of this. I want no part of this. In fact, I don't want people to know anything about the Redwoods. Yeah. He wants to, he, he because he's experienced such devastation as a yeah. proponent and protector and conservationist yeah. working hard to try and do everything in his power to save the limited number of redwoods that still exist. And right. here I am like, we're going to make a video right. that makes people love we're redwoods. We're going to tell and everybody. He's just like, you're the person that I don't. And right. it really changed It really changed my opinion because, or not my opinion, but my, my awareness. Because you recognize if you don't, if, 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 if in tapping into the native environment for inspiration for this art form. And again, I do believe bonsai is important Mm. on so many levels that have yet to be tackled, but I think it is the greatest illustration of our symbiotic role with the environment. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where it is. Well then. Oh, okay. Yeah. For me, it's like, uh, it's the same thing as the frames, the trees. It's, uh, it's, it's an artistic conservation. It's my way to still, uh, put people in a position to appreciate that, uh, yeah, but without I, going up and just, but it but it illustrates it your role. Right. It illustrates your role, right? Like, uh, like it illustrates your role in a in a in a comprehensible, digestible size. Because mm. you you think about like oh, global. Okay, okay. I I love this kid. <laughs> No, I, I really do. Like, yeah, when he came in and jumped on me earlier and just started punching me, I'm like, oh, okay, it's on now. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> like Donkey Kong. I feel I feel at home now. <laughs> no, no, I think like I think <laughs> bone size digestible. Yeah, climate change. Let's solve climate change. Tell me a micro illustration that can make that can help you understand 
and quantify climate change. It's mm. too big, right? Our role with the environment. How do you illustrate that in a digestible form? Cultivate a bonsai tree. Right. Go get a... You a, are the environment. Go get a crappy malzai or buy a tree from the, I'm assuming, very hardworking person selling it in a van on the side of the road. Right, right. right? Like, a van down by the river. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that isn't easy. They're, they're hustling to make a yeah. living. Yeah. Uh, and, and keep that thing alive. Yeah. Keep that thing alive and tackle every issue in keeping that thing alive from the watering to the fertilization to the pruning to the aesthetics and to the relationship that you form with that tree. It, you will, you will never have a greater awareness of the environment and how we coexist with it as a human being after that point. That's that's one thing that I I greatly appreciate Dave is it's like I was saying earlier, like if if somebody offered him more money for a tree, he'd just get offended because he's like, you know, he understands what, what went into that and the effort and, you know, to just simply let it go for the pride of being an artist or, you know, uh, like Dave would miss a meal to not sell that tree because it has value. It means something, not just monetary, but, you know, it it is a tool that people can appreciate part of the nature. Cause yeah, like you're saying, you are the climate, you are the environmental impact on that tree. So it's like, yeah, you can see it in a very small way, what your impact does in a very grand way. And it's, it, it, it requires a second look by many people. Yeah, It, it really does. Yeah. It's not a political thing. It's, you know, reaction, action, reaction. I mean, this is what it is. So, I mean, I don't know. The the fires and, you know, sea levels, glaciers and all that, it's like, man, you know, I can't protect Poppy from uh, everything in the world, but I can create a world for her uh uh, to maybe change or influence the rest of it or, or create appreciation for it or something. So it's like, I don't know. Um, yeah, a, a bonsai tree in its simplest form is, uh, is, is so much more than what people generally see or understand when they're looking at it. There's just so much more there. Yeah. So much more there. So it's, that's a thing that's it's hard to teach. You can teach somebody how to appreciate something by giving them, say, like a rubric or something like that. But, you know, kind of like Dave, you know, what do you see? What are you looking at? How does it make you feel? Yeah, but the best part about it is you don't have to try. You know, like well, the, the only thing you have to do with bonsai is give people the chance. That's it. True. And, and, and that's exactly what you're doing. Right. You know, that's 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 all I'm trying. To I'm do. trying to give them like the best chance to do well at it, of course, as I, as I can. Of and if course. that means in in flooding your head with information that maybe you have to come back and ask, like, what the hell did you say? It's like I would rather say too much than not say enough. Yeah, for for sure. You know. So Taft is doing distance learning mm. via school right now, and. <laughs> A six-year-old first grader doing distance learning. Right. This is really something special to witness. But uh, I was talking to his teacher, like trying to figure out what the hell we were supposed to be doing the other day. And and I was asking her, I was like, you know, are we, are we doing okay? Is this like what we're supposed to be doing? And she's like, oh, yeah. Because um, 
When I ask a question, he's like one of three kids that raises his hands to answer it, even if he doesn't know the answer. At least he was listening and knew that I was asking yeah. a question. He and was, was in there. Like, he was dialed boom, in. Boom, baby, we did it. Right? We are having success. And that's like, you keep that tree alive for a week, that yeah. is a big step. Yep. The attention is where it needs to be. Damn. Oh, man, valuable conversations, David. I, yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming out, number oh, one. I'm here because of you. Can't wait to introduce. I don't know how to handle that comment, but I appreciate it. Oh. Well, you know, just the same as you're not so uh, e- easily accepting of it. I, I never know what to say. The, you know, it's like here in PBM, I've always kind of had like a special place. It's like I remember, I think I came here first in, uh, I think, 2014. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had been like kind of like an online fan of like Pollock and stuff. And like, I hear I roll up with Katie and oh, here's Mike Pollock. And like, and then like talking to you or whatever, like you, you were very realistic. You know, this can be a very fruitful thing, you know, through hard work. And me being like, you know, uh, just in an admiration thing, like I remember saying, like, I consider you to be the leader of our generation. And I, and I still feel that way. Uh, and then, you know, in the same thing, I see Aaron kind of the same way from a completely different totally. perspective of bonsai. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but how I met Aaron was also at the Artisan's Cup. Like everything keeps coming back to the Artisan's Cup for me. And uh, it was a total kind of starstruck thing. I was sitting, uh, you were about to give a panel dis- discussion. And um, uh, I, I I sit down and I look in, in the row in front of me, a few chairs down is Aaron. And I'm like, he was looking the other way. And I'm like, all right, I'll just play cool. You know, it's Aaron. <laughs> you know, I think he was pretty fresh at PBM at that point. I don't yeah. remember what year he started. But the dude turns around and is like, oh, hey, David. And I'm like, like an idiot. I'm like, you know my name? I said that out loud. I'm like, you know my name? And he's like, well, yeah, I know your name. <laughs> and it was just like, I don't know. The way the dude communicates, like he sees where it's going. Like, and he sees how to communicate it. So it's like... Uh, that freedom of thought and uh, freedom of expression for the art form is something that it is so attractive about the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. where it is kind of an old guard in Florida, where it's it's not a negative thing. It's just, you know, uh, it's I don't know if it's the old guard and their kind of personal pride in Florida, but it is very reluctant to see where bonsai is going, you know, and like to come out here. Uh, to know that you can have these conversations and it doesn't change the art form. It just evolves our way of thinking about it, which eventually changes the art form, but in a good way, you know? Um, I mean, look at the mass that you guys have put together. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I, I, you appreciate me being here. Are you kidding me? Like, I appreciate being here. Like, yeah, it's, it's not lost on me. It but isn't all. that isn't that when it becomes really beautiful though? Yeah, is when is is, is when you do have that kind of mutuality there. Like yeah. that, that's cool. Yeah, that, that's really. It, I it, respect it, you, and then I could dick punch you at the same time, and it'd be all good. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. just yeah, it just I understand what you expect, uh, and uh, that's what I signed up for. You know, so same thing with Dave. Like I understand what he. Uh, expects and uh, that I want to provide that, you know, because yeah. for me to do that is letting go, which means I'm malleable, which means I learn and then I walk away better from it. Yeah. So it's fantastic. I'm pretty inspired talking to you, man. 
Sweet. This, this was badass. Yeah. This was badass. Um, you know, people, I, I originally I thought we were going to sit down and talk about the work. Um, oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about the frames at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. we can do it again, but I also think the work speaks right. for itself to yeah. a large degree. Uh, and I think people knowing who you are and, and what you're all about it, it is the most important thing about this. And I, I would like to I would like to leave this off on that note. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Mutual. Very good. Very mutual.